What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today we are talking about Aleister Crowley, a witch in time, where we look at the importance of ceremonial magic and how it's changed witchcraft today. Now, the interesting thing thing is we call this a witch in time, and yet Aleister Crowley was not a witch. For a lot of ceremonial magic, nobody was considered a, a witch. Occasionally you'd hear like warlock, but mostly you get magician. Right. Yeah. Well, he had his own religion. Yes. I'm really excited about this. I don't think Scorpio is anywhere near as excited about it as I am. Let's start with, like, just from the beginning, what is ceremonial magic? Well, just from the beginning, who was Aleister Crowley? Right? Yes. <laughs> he was a ceremonial magician. Yes. So he was born in 1875, died in 1947, just to give context into the time frame that we're talking yes. about. So he was pre-Gardner. But a contemporary of Murray. Yes. And his the reason we put him second is because the books that we were looking at were printed after 1931. Yes. But a lot of what he did and what ceremonial magicians did in general was happening around that same time, the 1930s and 40s. So could we have done him first? Probably. Was Margaret Murray a witch? No. But these two things put together created that sort of sonic boom that was Gardner. Without ceremonial magic, you don't have ritual in the way that Gardner described it. Absolutely. And that's sort of what ceremonial magic was, is energy-raising rituals. The things that they did were more philosophical exercises and also that sort of traditional image of people putting on black robes and standing in circles with candles around, you know, weird golden instruments. Well, yes. I mean, he was part of the Golden Dawn. He was part of the Rosicrucians. He studied the Kabbalah, yoga, Buddhism, alchemy, tarot, astrology. He basically did everything. He did everything. Some of the most important, not important, but interesting things to me is the fact that he went to Egypt. Here's somebody else going to Egypt. Everybody went to Egypt these days. And he wrote something called the Book of the Law that he said... He said he didn't really write it. Horace spoke to him and he basically just wrote it down. And I don't know why, but I always find that fascinating because I don't know if I, part of me wants to believe, part of me wants to believe that this Egyptian God just, just said, came down. Hey dude, you're it. I want to tell you a bunch <laughs> of stuff. And part of me just thinks, how cuckoo do you have to be to maybe even go there? But he is still important. Whether he was crazy or not, we don't know. Maybe he was right. He was definitely a little crazy regardless of his witchcraft practices. Yes, which were not really witchcraft. Yes, his, his magical practices. Magical practices. And I think that's what's important. In fact, you know, witches use K at the end of the word magic. That's Crowley. Yeah. And that's, he says he's bringing it back to an older spelling of magic. So when we say, oh, this is the way Wiccans do it. Well, no, that's Crowley. He did that. Crowley also believed that magic was like science. In other words, when scientists do an experiment, they write it down, they do it a certain way, you know, they have a book and they just, everything is written down there. So if they want to do the experiment again, they can do it again. They can do it again. Sorry, that sounds like the Book of Shadows to me, right? Where did we get this idea that we write down our spells 
and we have to do it the exact same way and the ceremony behind it, like you mentioned earlier. Yes. That's Gardner. That's Gardner reading Crowley. What's interesting is not only did Gardner read Crowley and create a lot of the rituals from the teachings of Crowley, but so did Anton LaVey with the Church of Satan. Yeah. I had a, such a fun time. We, I, what book did we agree that we were reading? It was like one of the Magic and Theory and Practice. Magic and Theory and Practice. I also picked up uh, like a breakdown of the book of Telema, Thelema, however you pronounce that. Because for me, one of the things that I found the most interesting about Crowley was his religion. And I had always had this really bad reaction to his Toth decks. And we'd talked about that before. So I was like, oh, well, you know what? I'll look at Thelema. I'll see what it really is. And it, you can see the forerunnings of almost all of these different magical practices in Thelema. Like the rule is love is the law, love under will. And his whole analysis of that is do your will. Be exactly who you want to be. Don't let anybody tell you what to do and rejoice in that. But for him, that was a religious experience. He was doing that in honor of the light who was a goddess versus what would then become Satanism, which was you are the god. You rejoice in yourself. But you can also see how Gardner would have taken that and put it into a ritual and said, we are rejoicing in ourselves. We are doing this ceremony for the god and the goddess. You see the steps that it takes to go from Crowley to anywhere else. It was dope. I don't know much about Thelema. I didn't think that I was going to like Crowley as much as I did, but his teachings and his writings really did sort of become the forefront of tying in these other religions that Europe hadn't seen before. He talks a lot about yoga. He talks a lot about Hindu and Buddhist practice. He has a lot of Egyptian-esque things in his writing. And for a lot of people, this was the first time they were seeing things like yoga, like asanas, which are poses that you hold your body in. He, in one of his liber laratus things where he like comments on the books he writes, he was talking about how asanas are these positions that you hold your body in for hours. And when I go to yoga, they teach me that, yeah, yogis sit in downward dog for as long as their body can take it, whether it's 15 minutes or 15 days. He took things that people had never seen before in the same way that Murray said, hey, I have this evidence of a witch cult that no one's published before. I went down a rabbit hole with Crowley. I really did. I, I, was, I have read so many things that I don't even remember which books they came from at this point. I hear you. But... I think ceremonial magic, even more than Murray, gives you that foundation for Gardner because it gives you the, we're looking into other cultures. It gives you the, we need to have ceremony. It gives you the building energy. And it also gives you some of the weirder stuff. Like, you know, there has to be some naked element. There has to be some sexual element. Crowley used to make these cakes. I They had either... He, he said you had to put blood in them. And I'm air quoting here because blood either meant menstrual blood, like a woman's period. <laughs> yeah, super gross. Or a man's semen, 
whatever the sexual lifeblood of a person was, was supposed to go into that cake. What I think is fascinating, he's not just into sex magic to people. He was into sex magic all by yourself. Sex magic was just important, period, according to to Crowley. It was a time period thing, I feel like. When you look at that period and up to into Gardner, sex magic was really a big deal. Do you think it's because society was so different and so restrictive that people thought, wow, sex magic, like that's really going to get, wow, like that's out there. Whereas now if you said sex magic, yeah, okay, you know, it's a way to raise energy, but... There's no way that it wasn't more powerful to them because of where they were living. There is power to taboo. There is power to the hidden and the looked down upon. So, yeah, I don't doubt that they saw sex magic as like this reclaiming kind of thing. Do I also think that some of them were probably perverts? Yes. I'm sure that somebody came to that and was like, no, but wait, what if we all had sex? Like, wouldn't that be great? Just out of nowhere? (laughs) But I think that there are just people like that regardless of what practice you're in. I've ruined Scorpio. She She can't function now. You have to see the faces she makes. It's just pretty funny. I'm an incredibly animated person. So it's hard to talk about something really seriously, and she looks like a cartoon. I will happily just talk about the lemma for like four hours. So <laughs> let's start from the beginning. Love is the law. Love under will. Well, but he also said, didn't wasn't he the first person that we see, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law? Yes. Which is interesting, because I always attributed that or when I think of that I always think of LeVay yes Crowley when you really read him has a very similar vibe it's first of all it's difficult to read sometimes the way that he writes can sometimes be obtuse almost purposefully he writes in a really philosophical manner um he was a theosophist which at that time was sort of like someone who was interested in Egypt and and alternate states of existence and higher planes and things like that. So the way he writes obscures the truth on purpose. So when he says things like, you know, do what you will shall be the whole of the law or love is the law, he's not really saying do whatever you want or love whoever you want. He's obscuring his meaning because he wants it to be difficult to decode. Part of ceremonial magic was initiation, right. was going up the levels. So maybe you enter into a ceremonial magic circle, whatever of the ceremonial magics you join, and they say to you, love is the law, love under will, and you're like, cool, got it. I can do whatever I want. And then you get to a higher level and they explain to you, no, you can't do whatever you want. Actually, will is about your one true purpose. And he writes about this in Talama. The will is not just whatever you want to do. Do what you wilt is not do whatever. Do what your soul's purpose is. And if you do anything else, you will find obstacles. You will be prevented. Do what you will to the whole of the law means be the person the world has meant you to be or the goddess or whoever you worship has put you here to be. But maybe you don't get that information until you're a level three. 
And then maybe you don't even know the name of the goddess until you're level six. Now I feel like I'm talking about Scientology. <laughs> Levels was a bad choice. No, but I think <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. Yes. You know, the one thing that's important that for me that I took away from Crowley is that we have the capabilities as humans, right, to really have the universe at our beck and call. And that's through ceremony and that's through magic. In other words, man is supposed to prepare himself or herself to whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever yeah. it is you want to do, you should be working towards that. Like you said, make yourself the best version you can, but also you'll be controlling things through magic. Yes. And one of the things that I thought was interesting you mentioned about the levels is when you think about covens and the way traditional covens work, this whole idea that, well, you don't know anything because you're a level one. Oh, well, level two, your whole world goes upside down. Uh, level three, you start to learn stuff. And I've always, it's always graded on mm -hmm. me, this whole idea that you're dangling this key in front of me. And eventually I'll let you, you know what, I'll let you peek. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, pull back the curtain just a little. Right. Which to me seems anti what we're supposed to be doing. Now, also like you mentioned, Crowley was in all of these organizations. That's how they worked. Yeah. That's how he knew. And in a way, it makes sense. The first time you try a spell, it may not go well. Why? You didn't know enough. The more you study something, the more it gets better. And I think for their groups, the things that they were doing were deeply taboo. They were weird and different and new. You're changing people's worldviews, even if it's just, oh, well, we're going to teach you yoga. Nobody in Britain knew what yoga was. Right. The, the changes that they were making, okay, I get why you want it to be leveled, you want to ease people into it, but also you did it to seem powerful. And we've lost a lot of that worldview changing information because the world changed. So when you initiate into something or you go up the levels, it's not going to be mind-blowing the way it was for somebody in 1935 right. to discover that somebody existed on the other side of the world who had practices different than you. We're global now. So, you know, one of the principles of ritual for him is that resonated with me as a Wiccan is the idea that you're uniting the microcosm with the macrocosm. Yes. And as a scientist, I love that as well. So I get why people were fascinated with Crowley. I get why people are still fascinated with Crowley. What I don't understand is why I can't find my top deck. I have been telling her this is a sign I can't find it. It's not supposed to be in your life. This this is a thing, and I would love to get some feedback on this because I don't know if it's just me, but I have never had a good interaction with a Toth deck or with a person who primarily uses a Toth deck. There's something about, you know, in the 20,000 and 2,000 and whatevers that people who use that deck always seem to be like rub me the wrong way or be practicing something that's just so alien to me or in some way a jerk that Toth decks themselves now just make me uncomfortable. So for me, I her not finding her Toth deck, I'm like, oh yeah, duh, because we're hanging out. Your Toth deck's like, nah, I don't want to be around you anymore. You've got the stink of a Hellenic witch on you. And the thing is, it's in a box. It's not even in a bag, something you could just misplace. It's in a pretty nice, substantial box. You gotta, you have to pick your Toth deck or me. Well, I guess my Toth deck is history. Oh. Yeah, I'll stay with you. 
as I, I say this, as I say this, I've been considering since we started reading Crowley, maybe getting a Toth deck and maybe like not being so averse to them. But I'm again, I don't like change. So we'll see how that goes. I think a Toth deck is fascinating if you're going to read Crowley. Yes. Because he's put a lot of the images of ceremonial magic, different things in the deck. I think it's more than just yeah. a deck. I don't know much more because it's not like I've studied a lot of Crowley, mm-hmm. but since we were going to discuss him, I've been thinking, I want to pull this out. I want to read more. I want to see what I can find in this deck and I can't find it. So yeah, I mean, I'm giving up. It's, it's fine. It's gone. Some of the things that I think are also interesting is that he stated that God is above sex. I like it. And when he says sex, he means gender. I like it even more. Which is so progressive when you think about it. For 1940? Oh my God. I get to Gardner. Oh, yeah. Because there's something else about Gardner that I thought was really progressive. Which brings me back to Murray, this idea that we've always been here and I guess we're not going to go anywhere. It's almost as if this is a big statement, which is going to sound crazy. I'm ready. Without these people who are into ritual before they were witches, call themselves witches, and because because of witches, are we the ones propelling society forward in a positive direction? Is the point of our practice to be a progressive force in the world? Yes. And literally, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. I agree with that. Definitely, I think part of the reason that we are sitting here having a podcast saying things like, we don't resonate with hierarchical power structures. We don't resonate with withholding information from other people. We don't resonate with being told what to do is because witchcraft as a religion, especially has always been a fringe thing. And people who are on the fringes tend to be the people who are looking to change things. For a lot of us, we're love and light kind of people of course we're then looking to change things in a positive direction. And now that you said that we're love and light kind of people, there's nothing in Crowley that discusses love and light. And we're going to discuss this further when we get into Gardner. Yeah. Because, like I mentioned earlier, people either see us as, will you do a love spell? Yeah. Or will you hex somebody? To have one, you have the other. I think I assumed... Crowley was going to be much darker than he is. Yeah, he's not dark. There's this, and I, I, to anybody who was a witch in like the 90s and early 2000s, I think that you probably understand how I'm feeling here, but Crowley was looked at as sort of like this goth kind of magical practice. And you see like Crowley's referenced in Supernatural as some kind of, well, because he was, he's all magic. But he's all magic without the practice. He's He was sort of displayed as dark, as brooding, oh, okay. as if you do Crowley, you're going to one day become, you know, the person who hexes or you only go out in the full moon and don't leave your house and things like that. And Crowley's he's not love and light, but he's also not dark. No. It's just very, it's like this dense philosophical Rousseau kind of book. Crowley is not dark. And he's not light. He's just sort of this dense philosophical text, this Rousseau kind of thing that he just wanted to give to the world. Right. His religion was his religion, right? Dilemma was his thing. But when we're talking about Crowley and his books, he's all magic. And his belief is everyone should be practicing magic. 
And I think that's why people get witchcraft and magic confused. One thing is to have a practice, a religion, things that you do because imbo, right? Yeah. Um, because that's what you do. And it's another thing to do magic. And because of Crowley, we have a lot of the steps that we take to do our magic, why we do them in a certain way, because of the ceremonial rituals that he had already set up. I find it very annoying that every time we record A Witch in Time, I like have an epiphany on the track. But I think you're right. I think that the idea of like magic versus witchcraft, anybody can do magic. Right. Anybody should do magic. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or Wiccan or Hindu or whatever, you can do magic. And Crowley felt that if you did magic, that was going to free you. You're going to be the best you. You're going to have more control over you your life. You will be able to do your will. Exactly. Whatever that is. Forget religion, just magic. And that's very different. But, again, and the next witch in time will be Gerald Gardner. We'll see how practice and witchcraft or magic come together. Yeah, I'm just sitting here nodding my head because I'm shocked and in complete agreement. You're annoying. Thank you. You're welcome. So recently we got an email from a follower asking us what the word witch meant to us, and I think Crowley couldn't possibly be more appropriate of a time for us to talk about it. He discusses magic in depth and provides these sort of deep philosophical understandings of spiritual practice, but he never calls himself a witch. So, Scorpio, I want you to kick it off. Why do you resonate with the label of witch? Why define yourself as something more likely to sort of conjure up an image of an evil green woman in black versus a modern, everyday, independent woman on the town? I think on the town. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it's because witches, for all of us, right? When you think about Margaret Murray, she talked about the witch cult. She didn't even call it Wicca. So to say I'm a Wiccan is also to leave out all of my brothers and sisters who are on a similar path but are not Wiccan. So if I have friends that are practicing voodoo and they use the term witch and I use the term witch because we're together, even though our practices are very different, we do have some commonalities and which brings us together. It's also a way for me, it's like reclaiming this word. It's not a dirty word. You know, witches are not eating children. They're not evil people signing the book of the devil. Now, yes, Hollywood is still going to do that. Sabrina, the, the new Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, you know, brought us back to those old witches signing the devil's book and getting powers and having the devil give them their familiars and all that. So maybe we would think, I don't want to associate myself with that. But I think that like it's enough already of like hiding in the shadows and being separated. When we use the term witch, we are saying to everybody else who has a practice, you know, otherwise you and I couldn't be witches. You're Hellenic and I'm Wiccan, yeah. but we're witches. And that brings us together. And that is inclusive. And that helps us learn from each other. So I like witch. I think that it's time to just stop. Just stop with letting other people tell us what we are. It's about being inclusive, and I think that today, modern, even if you want to say modern Wicca, is a lot more inclusive of other people. So, which to me is strong, which to me is don't mess with me, because I've got a history, and I've got my sisters, and they may not be exactly what I am, but 
we're all doing the same thing and it's all for good. I think I agree with you. And for me, I know that I mentioned sort of briefly in our first episode, if I didn't cut it out when I was editing, that I didn't call myself a witch for a really long time. And I it isn't until it wasn't until recently that I started feeling comfortable with the idea of being a witch. Because as I was growing up, as I was practicing, as I was learning all of these things, witch and Wicca were kind of sim- simultaneous. They were the same thing right. in the way that I was learning. And it wasn't until I started seeing things like political movements, which the vote, mm. seeing things like uh, women who run with wolves, books talking about women as witches in a sense of reclaiming our power right. versus women as witches as you know, the Wicked Witch of the West, or even women as witches as Wiccans. So seeing it as a sisterhood for me has really opened up the door to allow myself to say, you know what, yes, I I am a witch. I do the things that witches do, even though I am not a Wiccan, and I'm not signing the Book of the Devil. And even though my religious practice is very not witchy, not witchcrafty, I can still be a witch. I can still do witchcraft and not be kicked out of the community, not be looked down upon. And I guess I have to say thank you for that because it it wasn't necessarily until we started really talking about this together that I was more critical of my fear of the word witch. And it wasn't until witch space that really allowed me to feel comfortable saying, I'm a witch. But why isn't Crowley comfortable with it? Because I don't think Crowley, Crowley wasn't interested in Murray. I don't think he was interested in the witch cult. He was very much interested in ceremony and and this idea of societies, these secret societies, and building up and learning more mm-hmm. and and learning about your own power, which in a way, again, comes back to witch. This whole idea of this is my power, do not just... If you put me in the Wiccan box, then I can never learn from a Hellenic. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to learn anything because I'm, I'm Wiccan. But if I'm a witch and you have something that I can use that is helpful for me, or if I show you something, you're not closed off saying, well, I'm sorry, dude, you're Wiccan. And that's, you know, we put ourselves in boxes and to separate us is to destroy us. So when we come together under the umbrella of a witch, we're going to be stronger. And for Crowley, he didn't need it. You know, he wasn't interested in whether, you know, he had his own religion, but he was interested in his power, in people developing their power of people creating magic and being able to um, influence things with their own magic. Right. That's what he was interested in. You know, that was it. So, you know, witch, sorcerer, whatever, he would have been comfortable with whatever because he would define himself based on where he was, you know? Yeah. Who was he in Golden Dawn or who was he in Thelema? Who was he in, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, going on and on and on. You know, that was his thing. Um, which is interesting because if we hadn't had Crowley or if Gardner hadn't used Crowley as the template for how to create a secret society. Would it matter if you went through the three three stages in, in a coven to become third degree? Like, would these things matter? Now, like you had mentioned before, yes, you don't, you don't give a kid Shakespeare and say, learn how to read yeah. English, right? You start with the alphabet and then and you work your way and up. You work your way up. 
But the idea of your first degree, your second degree, oh, I'm sorry, my dear. You're not part of this type of coven. You're nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole idea of the secret societies having steps and being so... Yeah, because when we read Murray, it wasn't like the witch cult had these very delineated, specific hierarchies. So you have to take Crowley and put it together with that idea of a witch cult to get to Gardner. Right. Otherwise, you don't have Wicca, you have a witch cult. Right. So witches came first. So we should all be witches, regardless of what our pagan practice is, because that was the original template of these religions. So as crazy as Murray, not that she was crazy, but as um, as much as we've come to realize that a lot of what she wrote wasn't 100% accurate, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's one of the things we said in that podcast, yeah. witches have always been, witches will always be. So Crowley, Wiccans, Hellenics, whatever, they may come and go, but witches will always be here. Yeah. And Crowley is the one who set into motion this idea that Wicca has to have all these rules and all these stages and all this stuff. He didn't even realize he was doing it. Yeah, but he it, just wanted to tell people what to do. Right. These are my ideas. You guys should read them. So if Gardner had not read him and done something else, Wicca would be completely different. So, yeah, we have to say that whether he re- realized it or not, Crowley was a witch. Or he changed the world so drastically for witches that yes. even if he doesn't want to be a witch, we have to talk about him in A Witch in Time to say, look at what witchcraft became because of this. Right. Which I'm not saying this is necessarily bad. Yeah. But you have to, again, question. I think I'm always going to say that in the podcast. <laughs> like, if you're a witch and you're not questioning what you're doing regularly... I think there's something wrong. Like, I think, it's, is it still working this way? Should I be doing something else? I don't mean becoming something else. I'm saying, should I be adjusting my craft so that it, it best suits what I'm learning? I think there's a reason that when there was this sort of push towards very traditional, very like formal understanding of magic in the 90s, we were all called seekers. And why I always end up calling people seekers, because the point is to find something. You have to go looking for the things that you want to find. I, of course, as you've heard through this whole episode, am low-key obsessed with Crowley, and I definitely think you should read a variety of his works. I agree. But especially if you're interested in the history of where your practice came from, and especially if you are a Wiccan person, Reading Crowley gives you some context that's really interesting and and really dynamic to understanding where this all came from. I agree. And I wasn't so hyped in the beginning to talk about Crowley because, you know, when you first said, we're going to do Crowley in A Witch in Time, I thought, but he's not a witch. Like, I have no idea why we're reading Crowley. Like, who cares? And, And, you know, taking another look at him, yeah, I totally see it and... You know, last time you told me that I changed your mind a little bit about reading Murray. And I have to say thank you. I feel a little bit differently now about reading Crowley. I would be up for reading more Crowley, to be honest with you. I think that it was definitely worth doing and talking about. Well, I think talking about it is one of the best things that you can do. And I hope that you guys will talk to us about your takes on any of our podcasts, but especially on Crowley, because I'm really excited about it. We want to know how you feel, what you think. Did you like what we said? Did you not like it? Is there another book that we should have read? Um, you can comment on basically any of our social medias and we'll be there to respond. On our next full moon, 
we'll be talking about Father Wicca, Gerald Gardner, in our next iteration of A Witch in Time. Thank you so much for being with us, and of course, please remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us.